0: This show is brought to you in part by the Iron Range Resources and Rehabilitation.
1: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. I have a great show tonight, and I'm very happy to have my two guests in the studio. One fellow you might have heard a little bit about on AM 950, Professor Richard Painter, who's running as a Democrat for the Minnesota Senate race. Uh, The primary is August 14th, so put that on your calendar. And then, of course, if he prevails, and I believe he will, November 8th is the big day. But... More importantly, we have his lovely wife, Karen, also, like Richard, a professor at the University of Minnesota, and uh, we're going to talk to her and talk music, politics, family life, and all the rest. Karen and Richard, thank you so much for being here. We're pleased to
2: be here. Thank you. Well,
1: thank i got to ask, how did you guys meet?
2: We met at Yale. Okay. I was an undergraduate, and Richard was in law school.
1: Coffee shop, bar, mixer? Party. <laughs> you guys didn't party at Yale, did you? Mm.
2: <laughs>
1: Only on the weekends. <laughs> what were you studying, Karen?
2: I was studying philosophy and music.
3: Okay. And, Richard, what were you studying at the time? I was in law school, at the Yale Law School. What year was that? Uh, we met in 1986.
1: Okay. So what, uh, But you know, I, I can't imagine... I, You know, I did uh, two years at Mesabi uh, State Junior College in the Iron Range. Uh, I like to refer to it as high school with ashtrays. I went to the University of Minnesota. I dropped out the night before my first finals. So I'm a college dropout. Um, But I believe going to Yale must have been. You had to study all the time.
2: Getting into Yale is hard, but staying there is not hard. Okay.
1: Well, what's the
2: key? What's the key to staying at Yale? Staying at Yale.
3: What would you say, Richard? I'd say uh, doing at least some studying and uh, maybe having some fun. <laughs> what did you guys
1: do for fun? That was in Cambridge, right?
2: In New Haven. Oh, New
1: Haven. Yeah, right. Harvard's in Cambridge. Okay. So, what was a what was a fun weekend? What was a date?
2: Dates sometimes were only the ice cream shop late at night. So <laughs> study breaks. But um, we met at a, at a club that had a few law stu- st- school students join just to help keep things clean. Okay. And Richard was the cleanest, among the cleanest there. So we met um, at a party there and um, a few parties at the law school after that.
3: And so when did you get married? 1987, uh, wow. about a year and a half later after we both graduated. I graduated from law school and Karen from uh, college. And we were married out in uh, California where Karen's from, Santa Monica, California.
1: Is that where you started your home together?
3: No, San Francisco.
1: Oh, let's talk about San Francisco in 1987. That must have been
2: fun. That was. We had a teeny apartment we could barely afford. We were, Richard was a law clerk and I was a graduate student at Berkeley and we had, I think, two pieces of furniture. Wow. Something like that. But on Knob Hill, gorgeous place. Sure. Walking up there.
1: That's what be probably... I used to love New York City, but it's become so gentrified. But I was in San Francisco about 10 years ago. And it was, I think, the most American, one of the most beautiful cities I've ever been in. And you could walk around at night. I would go to the North Beach to, to hear jazz and blues. And uh, I was staying... With my buddy Ron Hacker, who was a great blues guy. He played at a place, did you ever go to a place called the Saloon on Grand Street, North Beach?
3: Oh, I think I heard of it. It's I don't the, remember if I'd gone there.
1: <laughs> according to lore, it's the oldest saloon in the United States. They, they served their first drink in 1865. And uh, I went there. To see my buddy Ron. He was playing at the San Francisco Blues Festival and uh, I, don't, I don't think it's been clean since then, but, but it was a great bar. Uh, and of course, North Beach has got such a great vibe. So what was um, San Francisco? You're just starting out as a young couple. You don't have a lot of money. So it, was it just kind of walking around the streets and museums and things like that?
2: We spent one year there and we knew we'd probably move uh, looking for a place where I'd get my Ph.D. and where Richard would practice law. But it was fantastic. Um, Neither of us knew how to cook, so we (laughs) had a budget of $10 a night for dinner. Wow. So that was an adventure, which works in San Francisco.
1: Especially in Chinatown, right? Right. Yeah. So when did you, uh, what was your next move, and how did you end up in uh, the great state of Minnesota?
2: We went to New York City for a few years. I was at Columbia University doing my doctoral work, and Richard was practicing law. And then we had a few changes that I'll let Richard talk about, a few job changes, a few moves. And then we finally ended up getting jobs here together.
1: Wonderful. Which, which now, Richard, I think she's she's kind of hinting that you couldn't hold a job. Is that true?
3: Yeah, I could not hold a job. <laughs> I uh, practiced law for five years in New York City, Connecticut, and then decided to go into law teaching. So I started at the University of Oregon uh, School of Law in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, which is obviously a beautiful place oh to live. Oh, my goodness, yes. Uh, and uh, Karen uh, finished her Ph.D. at Columbia, and then Karen took a job teaching music history uh, as a professor at Dartmouth College in uh, Hanover, New Hampshire. So that's a bit of a commute. Um, I ended up moving uh, to the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, which is where I grew up in central Illinois, uh, a- around 1998. Uh, I'd moved back to where I'd grown up uh, to teach uh, law, uh Karen moved to Harvard University and taught music history at Harvard uh about the same time so we were still commuting uh and uh Then we started a family. Our oldest daughter was born in two thousand and three uh and uh that's when we started to think about well, we actually ought to be in the same city we have we have three kids now. So, uh, I, I did... Works,
1: raising a family works better like
3: that, right? Well, exactly right. And, and so, we uh, uh, went down to Washington uh, for two and a half years. I took a sabbatic from teaching and went uh, to work as the ethics lawyer for the Bush administration, which was definitely uh, a, a difficult job, but uh, an interesting job. And uh, uh, Karen continued at Harvard, and then she came down to work for the National Endowment for the Arts. Uh, and... Um, when. Uh, and then we came to the University of Minnesota, both of us, when the music department gave Karen a very good offer, and I was able to get a job over at the law school. So it's worked out very well for us here.
1: When you were working for Bush, did you ever find yourself
3: in an elevator alone with Dick Cheney? Uh No, I didn't. Um, I did find myself in the men's room along with Dick Cheney.
1: <laughs> did scare the hell oh, yeah.
3: Yes, he didn't expect that anyone else would be in there with him. But his man, who was supposed to keep people out, had decided to go in there with him to, uh, I guess, to do the same thing. And so I look over, and I'm standing there, and I look over there as the vice president of the United States. And I thought, oh, gee, this is a... Uh, I- Awkward, and, and he said, "I thought that there's not supposed to be anybody else in here." And oh, I, I say, I just better just finish my business and get out of here. Uh, he was not a very humorous person. Mm-hmm. What was Laura Bush like? Very friendly. Yeah, very very
1: friendly. She seems that's exactly how how she came up. What was George Bush when he when he wasn't president? When
3: he well, he was always president. But like on a
1: weekend, uh, did you ever spend any downtime with him?
3: No, usually at the White House social functions. uh, And Karen came along a few times, and uh, he always remembered who uh, Karen was. And he always called me the ethics lawyer. And Karen, the music uh, uh, professor from Harvard, he always said it (laughs) that way, Harvard. Uh, And we we had a good time with him.
2: Actually, there was a little more of a joke to that. Okay. I think Bush knew that I... um, taught musicology right. he, but that I was a failed pianist so he called me the music the piano teacher from Harvard
1: <laughs> well did you uh, what part of DC did you live in Georgetown or
2: Tenleytown is that
3: yeah near Tenley, near the Washington National Cathedral okay uh, a number of blocks up from there a street called Wyndham Place we rented a flat there and the usual exorbitant rent that you pay in Washington DC right.
1: Did you ever get to a play I played at the uh, Million Mom March in 1999 at the I was a guest of the Josh Horwitz and the Coalition of Stop Gun Violence and uh we spent a couple of fun evenings at the Monocle have you ever been there that's a little bar restaurant Right off uh, one of the Senate buildings.
3: Yes, yes, I've been there for lunch. Uh, that's a very popular It's very popular. With the Supreme Court clerks and a whole yeah. bunch of people. The night we liked were there. The
1: yeah, the, the, the night we were there. Henry Hyde was there. Kay Bailey Hutchinson. Uh, the line was long to go to the women's room, so she cut in front of me to go to the men's room. I told her I'd watch the door for her, and I have to admit I stole a martini shaker from there. And I told the bartender, who looked like Robert Lee, I said. You are the guy that knows where all the bodies are buried. But if anybody's out there, you gotta go to the monocle. <laughs> Phenomenal Martinis and it's a great hanging. It's I mean it's, that's where John Tower used to hang out. It's pictures of JFK and Steve McQueen. It's a very, very storied place. You're listening to the Wall of Power radio hour on AM nine fifty. I'm your host, Paul Metz. I'm very delighted to have Professor Richard Painter, who's running for Senate here in Minnesota and his lovely wife, Karen. And, Richard, I can see why George paid more attention to Karen than you because she's absolutely lovely. We're going to talk music. We're going to talk politics. We're going to talk family life and whatever uh, the professor painters would love to talk about. We're going to listen to a little music and be back then after the messages on the Wall of Power Radio Hour.
4: Get your vehicle's summertime service done at Rudy Luther Toyota. The last thing you need is a breakdown while on a road trip or heading to the lake. Regardless of where you've purchased your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is your number one destination for auto service and repair. Routine maintenance or a larger repair, easily schedule your appointment on their website, RudyLutherToyota.com. I trust them. They're fast, courteous, and they do the job right. Get your vehicle summer ready at Rudy Luther Toyota, five miles west of downtown Minneapolis on 394. At Pride Institute, being LGBTQ plus is the norm, not the exception. Their highly trained and skilled staff understand your issues and will help you live a happy, healthy life as a proud LGBTQ plus person. They offer you hope to overcome your addiction and live the life you want. Their treatment programs are designed to assist you in developing the knowledge, skills and attitudes for long term recovery. Therapy groups include health education, LGBTQ issues, HIV and chronic illness, trauma, grief and loss, transgender support, nicotine recovery, education and sexual health. Pride Institute offers a residential treatment program, a partial hospitalization program that includes day programming with lodging and an intensive outpatient program. If you or someone in your life can benefit from guidance and coping skills, life balance, and other tools necessary for long-term recovery, check them out at pride-institute.com or call 800-547-7433 now. Hello, humans. This is me, Ellie Krug with Ellie 2.0 Radio on Monday mornings from 7 to 8 a.m. This Monday, our theme is Youth and Idealism. I'll talk with Molly Pinta, a 12-year-old girl from Buffalo Grove, Illinois, who is single-handedly working to create the city's first gay pride parade. Listen to how a 12-year-old idealist is leading the way for others. LE 2.0, engaging in real on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
2: Hi, friends. I've been talking to you about Minnesota's first green cemetery, Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's an entirely new way of looking at our last earthly step. Burials are designed to have as little impact on the environment as possible. For many of us, a continuation of the commitment we made during our lifetimes. Let me suggest you go to the website, mngreengraves.com. Explore what it is. Prairie Oaks Memorial Eco Gardens. It's a lovely place, a peaceful place. Minnesota's first green cemetery.
1: Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Netza. My guests in the studio all night tonight, Mr. and Mrs. Richard and Karen Painter, both professors at the University of Minnesota. Karen, you teach musicology. What exactly uh, part of classical musicology or or everything? What exactly?
2: Here I teach uh, mostly 20th century. Okay. I teach a freshman seminar every fall called Music in Nazi Germany. Wow. And usually the students have uh, no background in music. maybe they played an instrument some, and they're intrigued by the title. Also, in the course we discuss um, related issues in, in contemporary American life and in the world um, and counts therefore as a particular kind of civic um, ethics requirement for mm. undergraduates. So um, this is an interesting time to be discussing parallels and related contemporary right. issues right. to Nazi Germany. Uh, if that course enrolls well, then I teach um, courses on twentieth century music, mostly for the music students, huh. the performers at the School of Music.
1: You know, I had uh, I tried to get into the uh, University of Minnesota music school more to please my parents than anything because if if back then, anyway, if you got a degree, your only real options professionally were playing in an orchestra or teaching, and I was more interested in becoming a, a performer. But I remembered I was talking to an uh, artist friend of mine, James Reggae, who's a beautiful abstract expressionist, and I said, geez, you've got you know hundreds, thousands of years of art. Where do you go to study um, to learn what you want to do? And he said, I'm just interested in the last 100 years. And so when you said 20th century music, that really uh, responded with me because I thought great. There, my parameters are July fourth, nineteen hundred, when Louis Armstrong was born, up to uh, nineteen ninety nine, when Frank Sinatra passed away. I said those are my two bookends for 20th century American music for me. What? Um, let's get back to this music in Nazi Germany. So, what? Uh, tell us more about it. That's fascinating.
2: We look at the way uh, classical music music. Students know and want to know more about Mozart, Beethoven, Wagner, the way those great figures were exploited by the Nazis. And then we look at also the repression against Jewish musicians, persecution, and the way that music was used in political contexts in Nazi Germany. We also look at the, the parallels between music and life. For example, it's thought that Hitler shaped his speeches by drawing inspiration from the opera composer Richard Wagner. So we look at political speeches today and think about them as music. What is the high point? How do they develop? What is the use of repetition in political speeches?
1: Boy, that is so fascinating. Now, was uh, Wagner, was was he a Nazi or was he just a German composer that Hitler co-opted?
2: It's a huge question because he died in the later 19th century. We know that he wouldn't have encountered Nazism. However, he was an anti-Semite. And he became more virulent in his anti-Semitism late in life. Hitler claimed he couldn't have become who he was without the inspiration of Wagner. But then we know the most famous Zionist, Theodor Herzl, who wrote the tract that inspired the foundation of Israel, also said that he couldn't have written that without going to Wagner's operas Hmm. so it's a complex question how do you draw inspiration from music right and is the music to blame
1: was Wagner was that right of the Valkyries what was his the one that is most popular still performed
2: that's um gained such popularity from Apocalypse. now um it's used there um that's taken from De Valcourt, which is his most right, popular right. opera to be pulled out from the whole opera cycle.
1: That's fascinating. Now, as a, as a child, I was so enamored with the rhythms of Martin Luther King and, uh, and the way he spoke. And, of course, Martin Luther King was inspired by all the great uh, gospel performers, Mahalia Jackson, uh, Aretha Franklin, and the rest, and everything he heard in church. But I've never quite um, I thought about it. I guess there was one no reason to think about it that, that Hitler had his rhythmic uh, language inspired by, by pieces of music. That's fascinating.
2: He was a famous orator. It's painful to listen to his speeches today, but um, we try to listen to different speeches and think about how to analyze them as if they were musical works. Mm -hmm. If you lived in the 18th century, you would study rhetoric, and delivering speeches would be an important part of your education. And so composers studied rhetoric as well as uh, politicians and just educated individuals.
1: Wow. Now, Richard, have you learned quite a bit from your wife about music?
3: Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, and uh, Karen has done work on everything from uh, Mozart uh, up through. She's taught courses on jazz, and um, uh, so I've, I've learned a lot from her. What do you have on the boombox over the weekend,
1: or do the kids take that over? The kids try to take it over.
2: <laughs> we have about two or three competing DJs in the house in terms of what's going on, what's being blasted while they're doing homework.
1: Karen, what is your... Um, over the years, besides classical music, what other kinds of music do you like and who are some of your favorite artists?
2: That's a fantastic question. My taste is somewhat dated. Um, I love Aretha Franklin. I love blues. Um, I share my kids' love for hip-hop. My son also likes country, so I hear a lot of that. Cool. And it's growing on me.
1: Well, it's like, you know, Willie Nelson said, there's only... Two kinds of uh, music in America: uh, the blues and the Star Spangled Banner. Richard, what do you like to listen to? Oh,
3: I, I love all of the classical music and, and blues, jazz, and I will listen to country with my son William, uh, who enjoys that, and the hip hop, uh, pop music. My daughter Elizabeth, our oldest, our oldest likes uh, pop music, so we, we listen to. Lots of different types of music.
1: Karen, do you spend much time? I have uh, Richard Painter running for Senate in Minnesota. He's got my vote. He has for several months. We have got to know each other. He appeared on my uh, Wall of Power TV show uh, just about a month ago, and uh, we got to know each other. And he did that great dumpster campaign ad in the parking lot of Studio 6 where I taped my show and in northeast Minneapolis really quickly we've got about oh, 40 seconds Karen do you get out on the road much with Richard or are you taking care of the house and uh, and working at the U uh
2: it's the summer right now so I'm writing at home I'm going to be researching at USC next week and taking my youngest daughter and dumping her off in a soccer camp
1: <laughs> what what are you uh, what are you researching
2: It's on Comparative Genocides. There's a a fantastic um, visual archive, and I'd like to start drawing on those resources in my teaching. So I got a grant for a couple thousand bucks to work in the library for a week.
3: Wow. Not bad. Southern California. Good place to be.
1: (laughs) How do you keep up with this brilliant woman, Richard? Answer that when we come back on the Wall of Power Radio. We've got Richard and Karen Painter for the whole show tonight.
6: Not all poor men are honest, not all rich men are thieves But the rich man owns the orchard, you know the poor man rakes the leaves And as the wheel goes around, said all I want to ask is If the rich man owns the land, why must the poor man pay the taxes? Why does justice go so slow? Slow justice slowly goes Poor means stop and rich means go Slow justice slowly goes They say a woman's work is never done And do you wonder why? The have as much with double time on the by and by Well, I ain't a big shot doctor Ain't no big shot doctor's kid But I can tell you that my mother never lived in Adam's rib Why does justice go so slow?
7: Hi, this is Laura Hedlund with Food Freedom Radio. We want a regenerative revolution. What's that? It's a food system that works for water, soil, pollinators, and people. How do we get it? Maybe by being a little more lazy. So this summer, we're looking for lazy, good food recipes. We're talking about how do we create a sane, kind food system. Food Freedom Radio, Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime on podcast. A.m. 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
4: Hi, this is Charlie. My dad is Minnesota's wildly popular and handsome radio host, Matt McNeil. Did I say that right, dad? Perfect! When I got my driver's license, my parents let me drive a Sienna from Rudy Luther Toyota. I love it. It's easy, comfortable, and hauls all my baseball gear. And my parents love the safety. That's why they wanted me in the Sienna. Thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota, my son is safe as he begins his driving adventure. We're a two-Sienna family, thanks to Rudy Luther Toyota. Visit them today in Golden Valley at 169 and 394.
7: Northeast Minneapolis is known for its creativity, and you'll know exactly why when you eat at Hazel's Northeast. Their creatively prepared comfort food will have you coming back week after week. Breakfasts like biscuits and gravy, granola pancakes, and brisket hash. For lunch, homemade soup, and one of the best Rubens in town. And don't miss the daily risotto or Chef Ali's ever-changing dinner specials. Come on in. Bring the whole family. Hazel's Northeast delivers real good food. Family owned at 29th and Johnson in Minneapolis.
0: Next time on Philosophy Talk, Radical Markets, solutions for a gilded age.
7: Markets have given us growing inequality, a
2: rise in populism, and decay of
0: democracy. So we should limit the market through regulation.
2: But what if instead of shrinking the market, we expanded it? You're suggesting that we haven't let markets go far enough? Radical Markets, next time on Philosophy Talk.
6: Philosophy Talk, every Sunday at 8 a.m. and again at 2 p.m. on AM 950.
4: This is Dan Brooks, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with RBC Wealth Management. For the past 19 years, I've been managing wealth for individuals, institutions, and corporate retirement plan sponsors. Throughout my career, I've seen common traits in successful investors. They include the courage to be diversified, the willingness to work with a professional, the discipline to follow a plan, and patience. I welcome the opportunity to help contribute to your financial success. Call me at 612-371-2396.
0: With your AM950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Tonight will be mostly clear with a low around 63. Sunday, sunny with a high near 82. Sunday night, partly cloudy with a low around 66. Monday has a chance of showers with a high near 82 and a low around 63. Eat Local Minnesota.com's Restaurant of the Week is Milda's Cafe. This unique local restaurant offers one-of-a-kind hot dish specials every day and authentic finished pasties on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Located at 1720 Glenwood Avenue in Minneapolis, just east of Penn.
1: show. My guests are my new friends Richard Painter and Karen Painter, both professors at the U of M, both brilliant people and uh, uh, great moms and uh, mom and dad and and great uh, civic people as well. You know, Richard, uh, I saw your, I met your son and your daughter oh, a few weeks ago when you were on the TV show, and um, I asked your son last night. I said, I bet you can't wait it this whole thing gets over and he does look like it can't come soon enough. And what I want to say is I was a son of a uh, – my father, besides selling real estate and insurance, uh, was started out his civic career on the school board, then the three terms of the city council, then two terms as mayor of a small town of Virginia, Minnesota at the time. That was probably 7,500 people. My mother was very civic uh, – oriented. There's a garden called the Best Metz Memorial Garden on Bailey's Lake in Virginia. She also started the Land of the Loon Art Festival, which is now in its forty second or forty-third year. But I remember I didn't see much of my dad. He was, you know, work a lot and then almost every night he was at a at a meeting. And I remember one thing in particular, his first or second term as mayor he told me about a call he got at 6.30 in the, uh, morning from a lady at the senior high rise calling to say, why she's getting, uh, she's not getting very good reception on her cable TV. <laughs> Did small towns <laughs> like that, but, but I uh, do, my larger point is a campaign like this running for Senate has got to be all consuming.
3: Well, it keeps him busy. That's for sure. Uh, William, uh, my son, uh, he's accompanied me uh, a couple of trips. Uh, we had one up north to Ely and Grand Marais and International Falls, Duluth, and uh, William had a good time of, of that. And then uh, I think he may be going with me again to Moorhead uh, tomorrow. Um, so you know, I want to. Uh, we've got three children, and we keep uh, trying to keep <laughs> keep everything going with all three of them. Well it's a it's a challenge of course with the Senate campaign but uh, it's important uh, that I do this and uh, and I think the kids appreciate that and they're learning something as well about the importance of civic engagement
1: no doubt Karen what uh, what do you see is uh, your part in the whole thing you're the, really the glue that's kind of keeping it all together I mean I, I pulled in the parking lot. Uh, the radio station tonight, and Richard was doing an interview with another uh, California radio station, I guess. But um, y- you've got to be a big part of kind of s- trying to schedule a whole family. Plus, you've got your own career. You're studying and you're, you're, you're writing and thinking, and uh, how does it all work?
2: You know, it works. I think everyone has a balance between a family and work life. Probably for children these days, it's um, parents are more involved. Often, I think, we're helicopter parents, so there is a balancing act that goes on. Um, One challenge, but I think an important one, is getting kids to know what's going on and caring about it. Right. And starting around the 2016 election, a few months before, Richard started having a lot of interviews, and that was a challenge for the kids. I think there was a a Halloween when he was away for 15 hours doing interviews back-to-back, and of course, that's a time that... You want to take your kids around or treating, Right, absolutely. At any rate, explaining issues so that they get it and they care about it. Um, occasionally it's hard that a big issue means that their dad's away for a while, but they understand how important this is. And peers at school, too, are caring more about politics at a young age.
1: Hmm. Well, um, first of all, I'm going to say Halloween, because my my birthday is November 1st, the day after Halloween. And uh, like I tell a few of my ex-girlfriends, It's easy to remember it's All Saints Day, November 1st. But
3: every day these days in the White House is Halloween, right? Well, that's for sure. And that Halloween, 2016, was uh, a day or two after uh, James Comey, the director of the FBI, had released that letter about uh, Hillary Clinton's email. Although This letter said absolutely nothing of any import, but it was used by the Republicans and the House of Representatives to argue that uh, the FBI was reopening the investigation of Hillary Clinton. It was a complete disaster, uh, and that may very well have thrown the election along with Vladimir Putin's efforts. So um, I certainly had to go in and do a lot of TV interviews and discuss what was going on uh, now, the FBI had really blown it. I'm shocked to see people now saying that the FBI was somehow siding with Clinton against Trump. That's just ridiculous. Um, uh, but uh, Halloween that year, uh, we talk about the spooky part of Halloween, was election night. Oh, and my I goodness. I was amazed that we elected that man president of the United States. And and it's been a struggle ever since for many Americans. I went down
1: to the uh, Democratic headquarters at the hilton where they were having the election night party and my girlfriend uh amy i was looking at her oh i don't know we were watching melania and donald on tv and i said amy i said part your hair in the middle and i said you could do melania with some eye so we went down that night i dressed as donald trump i got an orange wig i had a, a pockets full of fake money um and the night started out really well. It was kind of funny for a while. And then when you could see all of the states coming in, going for Trump, you could feel his pallor uh, fall over the room. And uh, it was about as depressing a night as I can remember in politics, maybe in my lifetime. I'm... With the exception of, of course, the JFK assassination and things like that. But in terms of pure election night fright, my God, that was it. So when, Richard Painter, did you decide to become a Democrat?
3: Well, I uh, gave up on the Republican Party. I've been for years trying to uh, work with the Republicans. I've been a professor most of my life, so I, I never had to run for office. But uh, trying to, you know, explain to Republicans uh, that uh, moving back toward the center is what they ought to do and focus on uh, the issues people care about, reforming the banks uh, and what's going on on Wall Street was a big issue for me. That's what I was writing about and giving speeches about for a very long time and then government ethics and campaign finance reform. But the Republican Party has gone very far off the right uh, end of the political spectrum, obsessing on all the social issues and trying to ban abortion and try and, you know, help the NRA put more guns on the streets. It's 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 crazy. And then with Donald Trump, uh, you know, they, they just say, well, unless you're loyal to Donald Trump, you can't be a Republican uh, involved in the Republican Party. So the idea of being a moderate, liberal Republican just isn't workable in this environment. So we've had a lot of people, like uh, former Governor Arnie Carlson, Uh, he supports my campaign. He was a Republican governor of Minnesota, but he's telling everybody, vote for Democrats in the fall. Uh, But make sure in the primary, that you get in there in the primary uh, on or before August 14, get in there and vote. uh, And um, make sure that you have some good people in the Democratic line. Well, I feel that I could do something for, uh, for the people of the state of Minnesota, do something about Donald Trump, getting him out of there. Put in a single-payer health system, protect the environment, stand up to the sulfide mining companies that want to pollute our waterways in northern Minnesota and and, uh, deal with the climate change issue. Uh, So I have issues that I I think are very, very important, and the Democratic Farmer Labor Party is uh, certainly uh, willing to listen, uh, and a lot of people in the DFL do care very much about those issues. So uh, that was the natural place for me to run. How do you feel the campaign's
1: going so far? I know you've been wanting to debate Tina Smith, um, who the DFL is behind, uh, who took over Al Franken's seat. But she's not uh, she's not biting. You're not being able to get her in the same room.
3: So far, no go. Um, I'm hoping that uh, Senator Smith changes her mind. Uh, and uh, it would go a long way toward fighting uh, the role of money in politics uh, and the Citizens United decision the rest of it if uh, candidates instead of relying on uh, uh, TV ads uh, would use debates uh, to get their points across and the vo- if voters would insist on debates uh, that would go a long way as well uh, but right now there's a lot of temptation for candidates who can raise a lot of money and Sarah Smith certainly can raise a lot of money and. Or uh, you know others do, you know to run the TV ads and then uh, avoid the debates, uh, and I think that's
1: unfortunate. You know what I was thinking last night, because uh, now there's this whole issue with uh, Russia funneling money through the NRA uh, to Republicans, and you see there's very few Republicans that didn't take NRA money, and it was really millions of dollars. And I'm going, I'm not sure exactly how many members there are in the NRA. What if I've always wondered how the NRA could raise all of those tens of millions of dollars from their membership base? It just doesn't seem mathematically possible.
3: No, I don't think so. There's a lot of money going into the NRA and affiliated groups from various mysterious sources, and uh, certainly the Russians figured that out. They sent a special agent over here—the one of the spy who uh, was uncovered last week, who would you know snuggle up to various NRA people and politicians and literally snuggle up. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, she's a real piece of work there. It's really uh, you know, uh, the way the Russians will try and infiltrate uh, organizations, whether it's the NRA or uh, the Trump campaign. Um, is uh, it's shocking that we aren't more aware of this in the United States. And I wrote an op-ed about the NRA back in the 2012 in the New York Times called the NRA Protection Racket, talking about how they try and dominate the Republican Party um, and uh, throw people out who don't agree with them. And, but I never imagined there was a KGB connection or ex-KGB connection with the NRA. But I guess that's that's what's going on now.
1: Well, and now they have uh, convicted felon Oliver North running the show.
3: Oh, yes. You always say these old faces come back. Uh, Roger Stone is another one from the Nixon years. Roger Stone's got a, a Nixon tattoo on his back, and he uh, is now a political operative working for Donald Trump, and has a lot of connections with the Russians. and. He's the one who was tweeting about Al Franken's situation before anybody else knew anything about it. It's, I just uh, A lot of these people, they've been untrustworthy for decades. They're always up to something, trying to take people down who are their enemies, dirty tricks. Uh, uh, Tricky Dicky Nixon was known for that. But Donald Trump, I'm telling you, is much worse than anything we ever saw under Nixon. Well, you know, I've been a <clears throat>
1: lifelong Iron Range pretty populist uh, Democrat. And I almost thought my one of my uh, gripes with the Republican Party, they go get government off your backs, limited government, but they're the first ones that want to get into your bloodstream in your bedroom. We've got Richard and Karen Painter on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host. We've got one more segment. We're going to get back to Karen and uh, lighten things up a little bit after these songs.
0: Chad, owner of AM950, here to tell you about Snap Construction. They're experts in roofing, siding, window, and insurance restoration. Up years ago, when Snap Construction was a pioneer in offering a lifetime craftsmanship guarantee on all their work. For a free estimate or general questions, call the locally owned company AM950 Trusts Snap Construction at 612 333 SNAP. That's 612 333 SNAP, or find them online at snapconstruction.com. They have financing options available.
2: Crazy about pets? We are too. The Pet Connection Show is a great venue for fun, informative, and creative conversations about pets. Join myself, Kathy Menard, and Dr. Nicole Parole, along with guests who are leaders in the dynamic and growing pet industry as we discuss health care, relationships, behaviors, and even political issues as they relate to our pets. So come, sit, stay for the Pet Connection Show, Sundays, 11 a.m. to noon on AM 950 Radio, the progressive voice of Minnesota.
7: Enjoy a delicious home-cooked breakfast or lunch away from the kitchen at Milda's Cafe. Now open seven days a week. Milda's Cafe has been cooking up family favorites since 1964. Grab a coffee and sit down for a delicious Philly scramble, house rolls, or Denver omelet. Stop in for lunch where you'll find authentic Finnish pasties every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Open weekdays 6 to 3, weekends 8 to 2. Milda's Cafe on Glenwood Avenue, four blocks east of Penn.
0: Next time on Philosophy Talk, Radical Markets, solutions for a Gilded Age.
2: Markets have given us growing inequality, a rise in populism, and decay of democracy.
0: So we should limit the market through regulation.
2: But what if instead of shrinking the market, we expanded it? You're suggesting that we haven't let markets go far enough? Radical Markets, next time on Philosophy Talk.
6: Philosophy Talk, every Sunday at 8 a.m. and again at 2 p.m. on AM 950.
1: Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metson, My guest all night tonight, Karen and Richard Painter. I'm so delighted that they could make it. They're both very busy, and uh, so it's an honored to have them here. We were talking on the break about um, what uh, the Wall of Power Radio Hour audience would be interested in this last segment, and I told uh, Karen and Richard I have a, a, an audience with a pretty wide range of tastes. And I brought up a fellow that uh, Richard Donovan knew, a guy named John Kiriakou, who was a CIA agent who in 2007 came out and said uh, we were water- waterboarding Al Qaeda. Uh, he was also an ABC News analyst. I believe he worked with the Senate Foreign Intelligence uh, Committee on, to a certain degree. Did three years in prison, we're still in touch. It was funny how. I knew he worked for the CIA. His brother, Emmanuel, played guitar for me. So I met John at Emmanuel's wedding in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And uh, I was watching TV one night, and it said uh, breaking news CIA agent comes out and says, we're waterboarding Al-Qaeda, and it's John Kiriakou. I had no idea he was with the CIA. You two must have met some interesting people over the years both at Harvard and for Yale and now with Richard uh, running for the uh, Minnesota Senate. Who are some of, Karen, some of the most interesting people you've met uh, in your life, either in college or just bumping t- into in the street?
2: What a good question. Um, one time I was at a music festival in Germany and I managed to go backstage for a Light supper and Angela Merkel was sitting next to me. Really? So we had, she was then, um, not Chancellor. It was before, slightly before that point. So we had a debate about, uh, the production of Wagner that we saw. Really? And I was trying to flatter the, the the host of the dinner who, um, was related to Richard Wagner, mm-hmm. the grandson, and she was a harsh critic. Really, it was it was a little bit of a lightweight production, and she said that opera should have a point, it should have a uh, a message, something philosophical or political. Hmm. So I lost that debate,
1: <laughs> and I imagine you speak uh, very very good German.
2: I do. I lived in Germany some as a child. Wow. Um, I make a lot of mistakes, but I can speak pretty fast and understand most things. v gates gut, <laughs> danke.
1: and that thanks to miss Corpy, that's about as much as I remember from high school richard you uh you know I stumbled on you on uh, MSNBC or c n n you're you're all over the board, and um, how in the last couple of years, who are some people? That you've met that you didn't think you could get along with that you ha
3: that you do. Well, um, I, you know, I've met a lot of uh, people in uh, in Minnesota politics recently. Um, Angie Craig is running for the uh, seat in the second congressional district, who I very much like, um, and um, uh, uh, Dean Phillips up in the second sure. congressional district, the third congressional district. Uh, and just a lot of interesting people who are uh, very, uh, very much engaged in, in politics here and uh, trying to take on what's going on in the Trump administration and also uh, help people here uh, in Minnesota and with our economy. Uh, one of my uh, very good friends is a man who was um, uh, President uh, Barack Obama's uh, ethics lawyer uh, named Norman Eisen. And uh, I met him a number of years ago uh When he came back from being the ambassador to the Czech Republic, but we worked together uh, to um, address ethics issues uh, during the election and then in the Trump administration. Uh, after that, and we served as president, vice uh, president of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, a watchdog group uh, that uh, sought to, in a bipartisan fashion. Um, Uh, bring uh, Washington uh, uh, to heel and uh, hold our public officials accountable. Uh, And uh, one of the most important things for me is uh, uh, making sure that ethics issues in uh, Washington and around the country are addressed in a bipartisan manner. Uh, And I certainly learned a lot from uh, Norman Eisen about that. Now, is it it norm?
1: that there's another guy who's kind of in that field who's got some Minnesota roots. Is it Norm
3: Ornstein? Ornstein, yes, yeah. yes. Have yes. you met him? Uh, yes, once I met him. He's at the American Enterprise Institute, right. I believe. But he's yes. got Minnesota roots, right? Oh, yes, he does. Yes, yes.
1: Well, we've got a, a history. You know, we have Supreme Court justices, Hugo Black, uh, Earl Warren from from uh, Minnesota, uh you know, Hubert Humphrey, Eugene McCarthy, Paul Wellstone, boy, you could go uh, long and far naming all the great uh, politicos we've had from the state of Minnesota. And Richard, I really have a feeling that you get it. And I think you get not only the, the spirit of Minnesota, but I think you are Pointing in the right direction where this country wants to go. And uh, I'm, I'm proud to call you a fellow Minnesotan.
3: Well, thank you. And, and things have changed over the time. Uh, uh, the Supreme Court once had two Minnesotans on it, uh, with Chief Justice Warren Berger and uh, uh, Justice Blackman. Um, Earl Warren may have been in California, at least he was governor of California at one point. But uh, the two Minnesotans were both Republicans, Warren Berger and, uh, and uh, Justice Blackman. And they both concurred in the majority opinion, Roe versus Wade, which was 7 to 2. Uh, and uh, the notion that somehow the Republican Party needed to be committed to overturning that. Uh, I, mean, I know that has been a couple of decades in the party, but it's, it's a fundamentally different uh, approach to government uh, than the, that which the Minnesota Republican Party had for many years uh, and Republicans around the country, which is the government shouldn't be interfering in people's private decisions. And the small government model that uh, was popular, and popular with people like Arne Carlson, who's a, a former uh, governor. A part, political parties change. Uh, people change over time. Uh, but uh, the challenges we've confronted as a society uh, are very serious. I'd say more serious now than ever before. And it's going to be critically important we all get out and vote. And... Uh-
1: my vote is going to go to Professor Richard Painter. We got about a little less than a minute left, Karen. Painter, thank you so much. I would love we've got to get to know each other better. I'd love to come over to your house, listen to some of your music, borrow some of your books. I'm sure you have you both have incredible libraries. What do you love about Minnesota, Karen?
2: I love the outdoors. We live in Mendota Heights. We have almost five acres, and I just I love writing outside. Walking our dogs.
1: And how many dogs do you have?
2: We have two dogs.
1: Oh, nice! What are their names?
2: Goalie is the large one, almost a hundred pounds, and Ginger is the teeny dog.
1: Goalie and Ginger, I'm sure they're a lovely pair. I'm a big dog guy. Richard Painter, Karen Painter, thank you so much for being part of the Wall of Power Radio Hour tonight. Richard, I wish you the best, and uh, I'm with you every step of the way. Thank you so thank much.
6: Thank The high and the mighty will fall There will be no power brokers The wall of power will fall And someday The high and the mighty will fall There will be no power brokers